Hello, I'm Mark Tucker. And I'm Alan Furstenberg, and welcome to Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Hey, welcome back, Alan. Welcome back, Mark. Always good to see you. Always good to, to get this chance to, to catch up. Yeah, my, my day is better when I talk to you. As is mine. You know, it's, it's always really good to just kind of um, touch base with someone, even when we're, we're kind of feeling lousy, just to, to touch base with a friend and say hi and, you know, yeah, ask how you're in. doing. And, yeah, just check in. Always good. Well, good. So this is my idea for our topic today. Okay. Uh, and it's going to be, what is a day in the life um, for us as a developer? Because I know they're not all the same. And so we can kind of do like a juxtaposition of some of the things that we get involved with. And what, you know, we'll talk about a high level. We're not going to out any of our customers or, nope, uh, nope. or anything. Um, um, this will be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing kind of what your day sounds like and how it contrasts with mine. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, from our experiences, our development tasks have been similar in some ways and very different in others. So mm -hmm. this will be, um, be fun. I'm looking forward to this. Okay, so um, I guess context, I'm in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, which is Mountain Standard Time, uh, which means that most of the year, um, it's actually because most of the year we're on daylight savings time. Well, most of the year we're on daylight savings time, you're not. And we're not. Yeah, so Arizona's not. So for most of the year, we're California time. This is how I look at it. And the rest of the year, I'm you know Utah time. Because like Utah and Arizona are like right one above the other um, on the map. So and I've got family um, in, in Utah. That's where I'm originally from. And uh, we have an office. Rain has an office in Utah. So some of our developers work out of um, Utah. Uh, we've got one in Seattle. Um, and then we've got, you know, kind of the, the majority is more on the East Coast. So sometimes I'm two hours uh, behind New York and sometimes I'm three hours behind. And, and I guess also for some context, how big is rain? So you, you know, your how, how big is your employer? How many people do you normally have to deal with in your company and outside of your company on a regular, on a, oh. on a daily basis? Wow. Exact number. I, I don't no, know. Normally the projects that I work on are, um, are probably three to four people. Um, as far as rain employees go, we've got uh, you know business dev person. We've got a voice user interface, conversational designer uh, role, and then uh, a dev role. Sometimes we've got multiple you know, devs that work on a project, sometimes not depending on where things are. And then there are different people on the strategy side that I get pulled into, um, you know, my role here at Rain, um, I do, you know, technical direction stuff too. And then like pulling in with our clients and stuff. So probably on any given day, I'm interfacing with like 20 different people. Okay. So again, to, to contrast, um, I'm on the East Coast. So I, I work out of New York. I would say the bulk of my regular clients these days are in New York. So once upon a time, I actually would go into the city once or twice a year to see them. Um, nowadays, I don't. And even so, it wasn't, I didn't see them in person very frequently. Uh, but I also have clients that are kind of scattered around. So I've got some clients who are in central time and work in central time and some clients who are in mountain time and work in mountain time. Um, but also a lot of my clients are also, it's 
not unusual that they work outside of those hours. Yeah. So it's not just me as a, as a developer who works weird hours sometimes. Um, my clients also work weird hours sometimes. And, you know, so it's not out of the question that I'll get a message from somebody at 6 p.m. or 10 p.m. or 6 a.m. or 5 yeah. a.m. Um, wow. Uh, and I've gotten emergency calls at midnight in the past. Fortunately, not too many of those. But, yeah. you know, so my clients tend to focus on East Coast, but really can be kind of all over the place sometimes. Um, my company is also a lot smaller. It's there. There's really just a few people. I work for a, a, a small company, which I like. It also means I've got, you know, direct access to the person in charge of the company. My boss also owns and runs the company, which is, you know, yeah. uh, and I've, and I've known my boss for literal decades, uh, which is always nice. And, you know, he also gives me a lot of freedom to work directly with the clients. So my clients are largely, you know, by and large, my clients. You know, they all have my work email address. I have their, you know, I and we will we will talk directly. I don't have any anybody any interference in between. Okay. Um, and I means I do a lot of stuff for them. So I do troubleshooting. I you know for on operational systems, I do their troubleshooting. I answer their questions. So I'm a help desk. Um, as new projects are being developed, they're talking to me about the new projects. Uh, for graphic design stuff. I'm not on my own, fortunately, as anybody who's seen my graphic design will know. Um, we do have a, a graphic designer that I will work with. But once things are going, that's all kind of in, in my ballpark. It's all up to me to right. make sure the graphic design keeps working. And as new features come in, make sure they fit in okay. And um, so, you know, I've got a fantastic graphic designer that I, that I can, can work with and I do work with, but for day-to-day -day stuff, I largely work by myself. Yeah. So that's interesting. Cause the, you know, I definitely work on teams. So I, I've got regular like teams, you know, status meetings or standups, uh, for, for those projects that are doing agile. And, um, so there's definitely, you know, other people on a team that I interface with on a, on a regular basis, you know, on a daily basis for sure, yep. um, on different things. Um, so that's interesting. Something else about the time. So kind of the time range that I work, I, I typically do a, a nine to five, um, but I do like the flexibility in the schedule. If there's something I need to uh, go do, I, I, I can, you know, go run out and do an errand or something in the middle of the day when I needed to, uh, to get that done. And then I just work into the evening. There's, there's a lot of flexibility yep. on that. Um, same, know, uh, let let me ahead. just say same, same here, you know, so my boss, like, you know, Pretty much uh, within the work period, it's kind of expected that I'll be around because that's, again, when my clients are usually yep. around. But also if for whatever reason I've got to do stuff that goes into the evening or do stuff on weekends, there's no flexibility. You know, So if yeah. I need to do something in the middle of the day, it's usually not a problem. I just need to make sure I coordinate with my boss because we're a small shop that somebody will be there to answer email if necessary. How long have you done remote work? Oh, I have done remote work probably for five years. I'd have to okay. go back and like think, uh, but yeah, um, 
the job, the, you know, this job's uh, remote. Uh, the the job that I had before was remote. The one that I had before was like going to the office a couple of days, work remote the rest of the time. So a lot of remote experience. Um, yep. I, I've been doing remote work for over 20 years at this point. I think. So you were like, you're, you were uh, doing remote before remote was cool. Right. So, you know, seeing people who have been kind of thrust into remote now yeah. and are, you know, it's a very, very different thing. Um, you know, remote work, when you carefully design it and carefully plan for it and, and you know how to structure the job around it yeah. can work really well when you're kind of thrust into it and you're not used to it, 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 it can be rough. Yeah. So I, I could go into an office figuratively in Arizona, but I would be the only person in the office. There are no other Arizona employees. <laughs> um, I think I do have coworkers that actually do have a, a, a separate office from their home office. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the only one. I mean, it's an office for them and it's, it's specifically so that if they, they have a space outside of their house yeah, just to be away from their house, which can be really useful. Yeah. And I know, I know that uh, people on the, on the East coast um, are doing, we work. Um, so if they don't want to necessarily work remote that they can go in and they've been meeting together at like a, a we work location or something to, to uh, coordinate on things and, and stuff like that. So, but um so I typically work, you know, core hours, like I said, and most of my meetings are there. Some sometimes my meetings are um, kind of more heavily towards the morning side of the day uh, because you know of the hour, the time difference, and we want to. That's your morning things. or their morning? My morning. Okay. Which would be you know two or three hours later on their side of things, um, and there are have been times where I've had earlier you know meetings earlier than nine and. Some cases as early as 7 a.m. when we've been working with a client in Europe. Um, so, but you know, not too bad. It, it, it makes sense. Most folks that I, when I set up meetings are very flexible, you know, like to try to concentrate around times that, that work in all time zones, which is nice. Yeah. I think people are finally getting used to the notion that they've got to deal with time zones when scheduling things or at yeah. least asking what time zone are you in or what hours do you work? Yeah, I always find myself like when when I'm confirming a, a meeting, like just back and forth through some sort of a chat, then I, I always like do my time zone and theirs as well, just to make sure this, which is your, this time, your time, just making sure we're all on the same yep. page. Yep, definitely. <laughs> so, but, um, so I don't know, like see typical, typical day for me. So I could have anywhere from a light schedule of meetings for like, you know, two meetings a day, which could be just some small uh, status update meetings, um, or um, some you know some bigger ones with clients. Where you know some cases there's 20 people on the call that are mostly the clients that you're working on. Um, so I c- I could probably go from anywhere from two to six meetings a day. So some days are are very meeting heavy. Some you know some days of the week have a lot more meetings than the rest, but uh, some days are are fairly light. And and I do uh, try to block off certain times. Especially if I, I start to see that like more and more things are encroaching in, I'm like, okay, I've got something I need to work on. So I start like to carve out, you know, two or three hour chunks of time <laughs> to make sure that, that I've got the time I can dedicate towards projects. Yeah. Most, for the most part, I actually have fairly few meetings. Most of my clients, I have a good enough rapport with that we can deal with stuff um, by email. 
Mm-hmm. And we tend to deal, we tend to do that a lot. And it tends to be very effective most of the time. And I think when it, we start noticing that it starts becoming less effective, when we're clearly missing each other on communications, we'll say, can we just schedule 15 minutes for a meeting? Right. And we'll schedule a 15 minute meeting and we'll go in and we'll clearly, you know, make clear what we're talking about. Everyone get on the same page and then we're back to email again. Right. So, you know, those, brief meetings really can help. And they're great because everyone leaves saying, huh, just 15 minutes. We're back on track. Everyone's happy. And it only (laughs) took 15 minutes. Yeah. Which is, you know, a huge win. Yeah. So we do uh, quite a bit through uh, email and Slack um, as much as we can, but then there there are definitely times where clients want to meet with us or uh, times when we're coordinated amongst through three people and it's just kind of easier to, to you know, quicker to, to yeah. do a 15 minute status update meeting. Yeah. We do a lot of work with Slack as well, you know, and, and that's actually, I'd say it's recent, but it's, I guess it's been a few years now. Um, we used to use a, a homebrew chat system before we went on to Slack. So again, having that, that I won't say constant communication, but that constant availability has been useful for us. Even just to the point where, you know, I can say, I'm going to be away from the keyboard for half an hour. Ping me if you need me, but yep. don't ping me. You know, <laughs> just being able to say that easily in a chat yeah. really can be helpful. Yeah. So um, do, you, do you use a specific, um, like, uh, video communication software? Um, for us, it's mostly whatever the client is most comfortable with using. So, Which is, is going to be a lot of different ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, these days it tends to mostly be either Zoom or Google Meet. Mm-hmm. Although there's still a few clients that like WebEx, a couple of clients that like Microsoft Teams. Um, but it's really, it's, it's whatever the client likes the most. Yeah. Uh, for us, we actually very rarely use video chatting ourselves. Um, before video chatting was popular, we used to do audio chats. And even then we, we tended not to really like them or do them all that often. Uh, there will still be occasions where I'll send my boss a message and say, can you and I just get on the phone for 15 minutes so we can make sure we're on the same page? And we'll do so. Um, but again, it's, it's brief. Yeah. Yeah, so we use most of those. Um, Adding in Chime whenever we're talking with Amazon, then we're okay. That makes sense. Then we're yeah. using Chime. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the the few times I've had to be on the on the line with Amazon, I've had to use Chime as well. So let's see. Um, other things I do. So I've got you know some you know projects that I'm uh, primarily responsible for delivering. Um, you know, I've got a big project that worked most of last year on that's uh, getting close to the to the finish stage on. So you know, let's let let's actually kind of think about that for a moment. You're working on a project on a, on a normal day as you work on that project. Mm-hmm. How much time are you actually spending coding? So it could be Not, if it's a heavy yeah, meeting day, then I might only be able to have uh, a couple of hours. But the, on some of the lighter days, I, you know, so I tend to work more. Um, so it could be six to eight hours of coding that I could do on, on a day. So there's, there are definitely days where I can get right into it and make a lot of progress on things and, and, uh, you know, there's sometimes I'm juggling a couple projects uh, at a time and I, I kind of have to time slice 
And it usually works better if I say this day I'm working just on this project and this day I'm working just on this project when I'm coding, as opposed to trying to do, you know, both of it on this on the same day. That tends to be my my behavior as well. Or, you know, if uh, if I do need to to make progress on more than one project at once, I will dedicate my morning to this project and my afternoon to this other one or yeah. or something along those lines. But again, yeah, pretty much the same when I'm coding. I like to make sure I'm coding for at least four hours. Um, less than that, I tend not to get as many good results. Um, but sometimes, I'll, you know, if I know I've only got a couple of hours, I might work on a project that does not require the same amount of, of focus necessary for me. Yeah. You know, either uh, something where I'm doing more, more scripting rather than detailed coding or fixing a problem that I already kind of know how to fix and it doesn't require a lot of investigation for me. Yeah. And sometimes if, if it turns out that I don't have a lot of time towards the end of the day to have worked on something and I know I'm going to work on it uh, more the next day, I try to figure out a few things, even if it's just like pulling down the latest code base, kind of the, kind of the little tasks that you, uh, you can kind of get out of the way so that you can just get right into it uh, the next day as soon as you can start. Yeah. You know, making sure everything is up to date, uh, even just as much as you know, you, you're pretty sure which file you're gonna be working on tomorrow, loading that into the editor, yep. going through it saying, yeah, this does look like the right file. I'll or sometimes I'll even add like a couple of to-do comments, like yeah. you know, right there, right here, just kind of notes to like, this is, this is where you're thinking, this is what you wanna get. So at least I get something going, which just makes that hurdle a little bit lower so I can get into yep. it the next day. Definitely. Now. So besides meetings and coding, what do you do? <laughs> so um, we're a lot of times we're uh, you know pitching ideas or people are coming to us with uh, projects that they want to work on and we need to try to figure out what the feasibility of it is. So I could be looking at an API that I've never seen before, trying to understand it, um, maybe even doing a proof of concept, running through some API calls if they've you know given us access to some keys and things to to you know, try to understand how it works, trying to figure out like which API calls we're gonna to need to make, um, how many different API calls we're gonna to need to make for different things, just trying to understand what the, you know, get, get as much technical information that we can um, done. Um, so like, you know, today I was uh, doing some, some research. We have come at some different options on, on how we wanna approach a project. So I was doing research on different ways that we could have we could approach it. Some of them were like, you know, here's this idea. That's probably not a really good idea, but here's, here's the idea or this one's mm -hmm. not going to work because of this reason, or here's a couple of ones that, that might be, you know, good starting point. So, um, you know, it could be before we're um, making like a formal pitch or, you know, part of the, uh, or it could be um, after we've got the, the project or, or, or at the phase we're trying to figure out how much, it's going to cost, you know, and I, if it's going to, if it's going to make sense to us. Uh, I, I, I was going to say that's one of the big things that, that I know I do is uh, as we are writing our proposal, you know, when a client comes to us and says, here's what we want to do. Yeah. Um, very frequently as part of the proposal, I'll be out there saying, well, without writing the code itself, trying to estimate how long it's going to take me and yeah. saying, <clears throat> you know, this part uses an API I've never used before. And, you know, I've now played with it for 15 minutes and it seems like it'll be easy or I've played with it 15 minutes and 
there are going to be complications. I don't know what the complications yeah. are going to be, but I can reasonably guess there'll be complications. <laughs> um, and that's the sort of thing I guess as senior developers we're more familiar with. Yeah. You know, that's something that a junior developer, I, I let's put it this way, 20 years ago, that was not something that was really easy for me to do. I would look at the the high-level proposal and need to come up with the detailed technical proposal and say, well, I don't know, that could take me four hours or it could take me 40 hours. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little better now, a little better. Um, it could take me four hours or 30 hours. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't sometimes know, right? You don't. You're like, uh, you're like, this is my best guess. Right. If nothing, you know, if everything goes right, or you know, you're trying to confidence level something that you're trying well, to. Right. You know, one of one of the big things that um, I sometimes will do a lot of is identify what the risks are. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a lot of technology risks sometimes where you say this technology is moving fast. By the time we start this project, it may have changed. Yeah. Or, you know, this is an API that we're not familiar with, or this is an API we need to invent. Um, yep. You know, so identifying those technology risks are important Yeah. when, when coming up with proposals. You know, and there's, there's uh, you know, work that the conversation team is doing as far as what they think the, the conversation should look like. And I'm trying to validate that different points where they're showing information, you know, that that's going to be as part of the conversation. Um, back and forth if the API supports those if you know you know because in some cases you might say oh I'm going to make this call and give me a list of something and it might have all the information that you need or you might need to take one of those items that you get back and make two additional API calls to get all the, you know it depends on how the rest APIs were written if right and if, and then you know certainly when it comes to conversational design it starts coming into well can we do that in five or seven seconds. Yeah, exactly. When, so, and if not, so, what do we, what do we do? Yeah. So then we're like, do we, you know, what, you know, like pull our little bag of tricks out and say, what, what can we do to tweak the conversation flow to, to accommodate that? Or what can we do as far as caching of information? Or is there something else that we can do? Is that something that we can go back to the, the owner of the API and say, Hey, we would like, an endpoint that has this additional information, what would that look like on your roadmap compared to the roadmap of this project? You know, and, and I think that's actually something that is an interesting element of what we need to do as developers on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes is talk with other parties, whether they are, you know, the first party, the client <laughs> yeah. and their APIs or somebody else that the client is working with and discuss, well, what does this API need to look like? What is the data that I have to send you? What's the data you have to send me? How do we get all of these pieces working together? Um, uh, we, we had a project um, at one point where there, the project was between us and this, this, this customer, but that customer was using another API that would, would store their data. But then that used a different authentication provider, and we were working with a partner to use, a, you know, to kind of develop and a tool that they they had created. So I'm just like, whoa, that's a lot of moving parts and a lot of, uh, you know, things to take into consideration. So. A, a lot of what I have to do sometimes is deal with other data vendors who have legacy systems. Yeah. So I, you know. 
and deal with several of them. So I need to say, okay, exactly what is the data format? Exactly what is it? What am I getting? How do yes. I know that it's good? Here are my requirements. Here's what you're sending me. Is, is there a gap? And yeah. if there is a gap, how do we fill that gap? Yeah. Now, is, so, that, is that the data provider that needs to fill the gap? Is that me needing to come exactly. up with data out of thin air? You know, how do we how do we address this? Yeah, and sometimes you have to work with other teams, like if they're responsible for an API, um, you know, because they're a different team in the company that you're working for. Um, you know, you have to come up with. I find myself crafting emails um, of of lots of different technical questions to try to, you know, and it's trying to figure out what are the questions that we really need to ask to help us get to the information that we need. So, like one of the the points was like, okay, we don't have access to the real API in our development, and we don't really know how it's been deployed, so we don't know the timings on things. And it wasn't originally made for voice. It was made for mobile. And so we hit this, this point where I'm like, all right, how many records typically come back from this API call? It was like a list of historic something or others, right? And Mike, so does it give you, does it cap it? Give you at hundred? Does it give you all of them? Is there any paging that goes along with it? Um, you know, how long does it take to come back? And they're like, well, it could take up to 30 seconds to come back. And I'm like, and there wasn't any way to control. And so we ended up having to drop that part of the of it from this first you know, iteration of it because w- there's really nothing that we can yeah. do ab- about a 30-second uh, so, response time in, a, in an API. So, so that actually, something you said also reminds me. So, um, so beyond technical development and coding and you know, part of the proposals, one of the things I know I do a lot of, it actually probably takes up most of my time these days, is handling operations. And whether that's deploy, you know, making sure things are ready for deployment or handling alerts when I get alerts that say the machine is running too slow or handling client questions when our clients are saying, we're getting this error that says gateway timed out. What does that mean? <laughs> okay, why is the gateway time? You know, so, yeah. so dealing with those operational questions actually tend to be a lot of what I do. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a small company. We don't have a separate operation staff. I'm the operation staff for my clients. Yeah. Um, but it really has given me a good perspective, you know, a good understanding of what it feels like when using the system, because when, they experience pain. I get the phone call or the email and I need to go in and see, well, is this happening because we've got a memory constraint or a CPU constraint or just that the, you know, for whatever reason, the database didn't have an index on a field that we needed or we need to restructure exactly how we do this because it doesn't make any sense, you know. or is it just that the machine is being pounded by bots and I need to put in a block to yeah. block another bot? Um, all of these are possible and <laughs> I need to figure out on what level it needs to be addressed. Is it addressed on a system level? Is it addressed on, a, on, on my software? Where, where do we tackle the problem? 
Right. Yeah. Cause you, you know, you, we definitely go from all the way from idea to implementation and, and maintenance afterwards. It's, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of the time in our cases, then, um, then we're working with the customer to create their own, you know, account in, in for Google Assistant or account in you know, Alexa developer account uh, or, you know, AWS or, or whatnot and, you know, put stuff in their, in their systems. So a lot of times um, they do have the team that will then monitor and stuff later, but um, there are going to be, you know, like modifications and things that they, they need to, to do um, need our help to do. So, um, you know, I think one of, one of the biggest things that I think I realized early on in developing is as much as possible, I want to build systems that my clients can control themselves. Yeah. Because having them come to me every time they need to create a new account, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Minor configuration changes come to me. It's kind of ridiculous. Major questions, you know, can we do this? I've never done this before. Can the software do this? And I can say, oh, well, yeah. And here's how. Yeah, let's explore that. You know, that now empowers them to do it themselves the next time. Yeah. Or, yeah, that's a good question. I can do it because I can fiddle with stuff inside. If this is going to be something that you do a lot, let's talk about making this under your control, not my control. Yeah, let's figure out a way of config setting or right. UI or whatever we need to do to help solve that. How much documentation do you find yourself writing? Um, it varies a lot since a lot of what I am generating needs to either be, um, so uh, there, there are two types that I'll, I'll generally do. Uh, one is operational stuff for my coworkers. Yeah. So, you know, how does this machine set up? How do we control things? You know, what do we look for? And those are more on a general operational level. So as you know, everyone in my group who, uh, who knows the machines that, that we're working with um, have a convenient place to look up how to deal with things, deal with issues. Okay. And in some level, you know, even some basic troubleshooting stuff. Sometimes we've seen this problem a bunch of times. If, you know, they report this, here's how we need to handle it. Um, and then there's stuff for the client, you know, here's how you handle this task for yourself over and over again. So you don't have to buy, you know, so you don't have to come yeah. to me. Um, here are the new features that we just added and how you use them. So that's most of what the, the documentation ends up being. Do you find yourself doing any documentation for like, um, like a system architecture? Just like, some, these are the moving parts. These are the services that we're using. These are how things are connected. And to some extent that usually ends up being done as part of the design phase or part of the, the proposal and design yeah. phase. So, so when they say, here's what we need, we'll go in and say, well, this component will set it up this way and uh, usually get their buy-off on the high-level version of that. And then there's a lower-level version of that where we will specify, it's not just that we need to run this resource, it's that we need to run this resource and configure it this way. And we need to make sure we address this. And here are some of the other configuration points that we need to set up to make sure it works correctly. And here's why we want to avoid this tool because we've had bad experiences with it before. You know, yeah. so we'll we'll mostly iron that sort of stuff out as part of the a detailed 
technical design um, and then try to update that as we go in and develop things. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I think I do similar types of documentation that, that you do. So some of it is like, you know, practical. This is how you, you know, configure things. Um, but also um, sometimes it's, it isn't earlier in the design phase. Sometimes it's in, it's, it's more of, okay, this project uh, has done. And if, if we want to make sure that somebody else on the team could jump in and make changes, then they need to have this is the stuff that you need to know before you jump into the code base um, because it will make a lot more sense if you kind of understand the big picture of how things are working versus. Yeah, in a lot of cases, we don't have, that's not as much done for us on the code level, probably should be, to be perfectly fair. Yeah. Um, it, we tend to do it more on the operational level than the code level. Okay. But we also have a smaller coding team than you do. <laughs> how much testing do you do on a on a regular basis both oh. both in terms of setting up unit tests and code mm -hmm. tests and the bigger integration testing it depends on the project um <clears throat> but we do um set time aside for you know testing as part of the proposal uh that we do um some with some clients the requirement is that there are certain unit tests like this project mm. that part of the reason why it's been so long and you know it's taken a big portion of last year and it's going into this year is that there are certain things as far as, you know, code coverage requirements and um, running things through, um, you know, Fortify to check for, you know, vulnerabilities or Sonar Cube that's checking, you know, for code smells. And, you know, there's just, you know, different things that, that uh, it's a bigger, you know, company that we're doing it for. And so they're used to all those enterprise things that, that, uh, that you have on a project where sometimes it's sometimes it's a small game and and we're and the testing is testing the, that the game works and, and and it's not necessarily any unit testing along the way but there's there's you know testing that we do internal um, you know the team expanded that out to other people at Rain expanding that out to then you know people that are at um, the the client that we're working for um, before things get released and we you know make sure that. It's gone through enough paces and we have, you know, fixed any of the small fixes that we need to, to, to get that ready to, to release. Mm -hmm. As much as I love the notion of test-driven development, I'm not as good a practitioner in it as I should be. But with that, one of the things I do tend to do a lot of is, you know, some of, some of the software I've written has a very, very long life. Yeah. Some of the projects I work on now started when I started at the company. Oh, wow. Um, so they've, and they've changed a lot over the years. So it will often be that when I have a client say, you know, when, when someone says either I need this to do something else, or this isn't working the way I thought it was supposed to, that's usually when I will introduce a test to say, okay, what is the current behavior? Yeah, that doesn't work correctly. Let's go fix it. Here's the other, you know, uh, that's yeah. when I'll usually introduce a test to either make sure I don't accidentally break something or uh, I, you know, clearly identify what the problem is. And that way I can be sure I know when I fixed it. Yeah. So, so, so uh, most, most of my tests are around problems. Yeah. So I can uh, definitely say on those. So test driven, I, I have nothing against test driven development. I just haven't necessarily got into the, you know, red, green refactor. 
understand it and, and wish I was better, I think, yeah. at, at that than I am. Um, but definitely having a base of, of unit tests that are passing on a regular basis, that, that's green on a regular basis. And then when something um, breaks, it's just the thing that you just barely changed. And that's a lot easier for me to, to think through. I'm like, okay, well, why did this break that over there? Or like you say, when, when you hit something that's an, that, you know, your client's using that and there's an error of some sort and you're like, okay, let's, how would I write a test that would expose this error? So I test it, you know, write the test, it's red, I fix it, it's green and I'm good to go. And so now I've got, you know, because I've, I've, there have been times where I had to have gone through and do, you know, medium-sized refactoring and changing things around or, or changing something. And it's good to be able to do a change, run the test, make sure they're still green, keep going. And um, yep. as opposed to making the change, you think everything's good and then something else is, is wrong. Right. And, you know, four days down the road, you, yeah. you finally get around to testing it and you discover somewhere it broke. And now you're like, which, trying to which piece of out. my code in the past four days did that? I, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's okay. Any other any other tasks that you find yourself doing on a regular basis? Um, other than that, just like uh, you know, one on ones with uh, with with my manager. Um, you know, engineering team meetings. So one of the things I really do like about Rain is every week we have a um, all hands meeting. It's only you know thirty minutes, and we'll talk about you know projects that are you know spotlights on projects that other people are doing that you know that maybe that I'm not working on, or you know things that are in the pipeline, or other things that are going on with the company, or hey you know let's let's get to know this new person that joined, mm-hmm. um, put them on the hot seat, you know <laughs> things like that. So um, I I really like that. That there's there's been you know companies I've worked for where I don't know what's going on for it's kind of like you know do your job and don't worry about anything else. And I'm like, well, this whole thing affects me. Right. And what can I do to make the you know company better as a whole? And if I don't know what that is, then, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like looking like just being able to see just right before, you know, like a couple of steps in front of your face. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better to have that fog clearing and be able to get a bigger picture around you. What's going yeah. on. Also in agencies, you know, our size, it's also just generally good to know what our coworkers are doing and going through, you know? So if they've got a big release coming up, it's just good to know that they've got a big release coming up and they may be a little stressed. Um, Even just knowing that can be, you know, really a big help or, you know, just generally get a sense of what else the company is doing. Mm -hmm. um, What other big projects are, are on people's plates and, you know, Knowing that and, and and having an understanding of what sorts of things your company as a whole is doing can really be yeah. fulfilling in some ways and helpful. Yep. You know, sometimes you get financial updates on things and you're like, oh, well, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I think I think the other big thing that I tend to do on a daily basis is I am, you know, responding to and helping clients. So yeah. I don't think a day goes by when I don't have a client asking a question about how something works or is supposed to work or used to work, or, hey, they suddenly discovered they haven't been getting this report for the past two years where they supposed to be, or, you know, stuff along those lines, you know, just, uh, just generally playing help desk. Yeah. Um, And that's good, because it also keeps me in direct 
contact with with my clients yeah um, and understanding what their needs are and how it changes over time yeah something i could do better is i need to reach out more other than our uh, regular engineering meetings where every you know all just the engineers get together and talk about you know what their projects are uh, they're doing or like some new technology or or you know asking for you know, asking questions um i need to do a better job reaching out and just kind of you know since it's remote um have that just personal connection and get to know them better. And I, I have to say, one of the nice things about my company, and again, it helps that we're small, is that we do have a, a dedicated channel in Slack where we just are talking about what's going on. You know, so that could be a coworker and talking about what some of their hobbies are. You know, and yep. and they're just casually mentioning, "Here's what I did with this today," or you know, mentioning what the weather is. I mean, you know, it, it's almost a cliche sometimes, yeah. you know, that all you're talking about is the weather, but sometimes that can actually be really interesting since we're all geographically dispersed yeah. to get a feel of what, you know, each one is, uh, is going through. Um, coworker recently bought a house. So, you know, listening to them going through the whole, you know, the search process, the buying process and talking about moving into the new house has been, has been yeah. interesting. But just just generally keeping that connection is always a good thing. Yeah. So I, I need to do more of that and 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 be more active on like scheduling times to actually go do that, just reach out and you know, even if it is like like I say, 15 minutes is something that you, you know, is easier to fit in if you're just wanting to do like a quick, hey, how you how you doing and reconnecting. So, you know, I think it sounds like our days can sometimes be very much the same and sometimes be very, very different. Yes, that's true. But it's, it's, it's fun. I, and that's part of the, the you know, what, what I like about my job is that I'm always learning new things. Um, and, you know, there's lots of variation and I have plenty of opportunities to connect with people. Um, you know, even though it's all remote, it's still, it's still good. I feel like I've got a good rapport with my teams and, and things. So I like, I like it. Yep. I definitely agree. So I hope folks find this interesting or enlightening. You know, I certainly would love to hear other developers, what your, your days are like. Um, and that includes junior developers. You know, one yeah. of the things I hope that junior developers are finding is that they are getting those connections with more senior developers, that they're getting that mentorship and guidance that, that is important. And, you know, it may be scary, but, um, you know, if, if a junior developer were to reach out to me and say, hey, I, you know, would like to just have a regular meeting with you or something, I, I would make time, um, you know, because you know, like somebody did that for me and I, I was so appreciative. Um, as would know, I. No, I'll, I'll admit, I'm probably not the person to talk to if you're looking for career advice, because that's it's not something I've had a lot of experience in. You know, my yeah. I've had 20 years in the same company. Um, so I'm probably not the best to talk about career advice, but certainly talking about what broadening your technical horizons would look like, yep. understanding how to grow within a field that you're interested in. I would certainly say, you know, if, if you've got nobody else to reach out to, I'm certainly happy to talk about those sorts of things. I think that uh, the more communication that we can do, the better. I, I, I'm finding you know, my interactions on, on Twitter quite a bit more um, Talking about topics that we didn't, that I wouldn't have talked about before, or you know, that I didn't feel like you could talk about in a tech industry, um, 
you know, that just kind of wasn't the way you did it things when, uh, when I was going through, but um, hopefully we can, we can find ourselves to a place where we can talk more about different things and, and feel, feel more comfortable about asking those questions. Agree. So, you know, if folks feel like they want to or need to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter, find mm-hmm. us on LinkedIn, leave comments down below on YouTube or on the podcast. And uh, we, are, we are very, very happy to find time and to make time to talk with you about this industry. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Have a good week, Mark. Yeah, you too. Take care. And thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye.